Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. This chapter, the Buddha Vaga, um, and I know I say this often, but this is one of the most significant chapters, at least in the Dhammapada, and it is something that, uh, if we're ever a little bit confused or feel like we've lost our focus, uh, this is one of those chapters to read. Uh, here the Buddha is describing... Um, He's describing himself, he's describing the qualities of an awakened human being, uh, but he's also describing it to us as um, a very skillful encouragement, meaning there's nothing here that, you'll, that you're about to hear that uh, is not, that any human being is not able to achieve as long as they practice, as the Buddha says here, the Dhamma in accordance with the Dhamma. There's some cautions in here or maybe a better way to, to use that. It's not a caution, it's a description of those that aren't. And again, the Buddha always made a clear distinction between wise Dhamma practitioners and those people who might be interested in some kind of spiritual way of living but aren't really committed to the Dhamma. And there's, there's a, a tone about that in here, that we have to be serious about what we're doing. But the Buddha describes the uh, the amazing value in actually developing the Dhamma as a human being. The Buddha Vaga, the restraint of a Buddha. And again, the Buddha starts out with with describing the quality of mind of an awakened human being, whose knowledge is unsurpassed. How would you distract him? So the, immediately we realize two important things. Knowledge, but knowledge in relation to the Dhamma, of course, and a well-concentrated mind. Whose knowledge is unsurpassed? How would you distract, distract him? Who has abandoned craving and further becoming, meaning becoming further ignorant? Who has cut all entanglements with the world? The Buddha answers that rhetorical question. Those rightly self-awakened, established in jhana, delighted with, calm, with a calm mind, resting in renunciation, delighting in a calm mind. I mean, that's a skillful desire. That skillful desire for developing a well-concentrated and calm mind is a direct counter to a mind rooted in ignorance and constantly grasping after yet another self-establishment and another new idea or new object. Remaining free and mindful, the wise hold these dear. Human life is rare. Again, the Buddha is taking this. Now, remember the the, um, the mystical, um, the establishment of mystical realms as the the culmination of some type of practice, even Buddhist practice, was very very common during the Buddhist time. It was the common thing that seekers chased after and that um, modern <laughs> contemporary teachers, contemporary to the Buddha, would present. And it makes sense that they would present it because that's what people wanted. 
And then the Buddha came along and presented something completely different. The same is true today. If you want something that is, that is mystical, that, that is an escape from your human life, or a resolution to a, to a self that you feel is broken or flawed in some way, this is not it. But that's not true of any human being. This is a Dhamma that teaches human beings what it is to be a human being. How to lock that experience in, in, in something called unwavering calm. And it's a direct way. And it's rare that we even have this opportunity. Why does the Buddha teach us? Why does the Buddha make a statement, human life is rare? So that we understand this. This is not something frivolous. We're having a human life. That life itself is precious. Then the opportunity to awaken within that precious life is even more rare. Remember the Anapanasati Sutta. Human life is rare. Human life is difficult. The chance to hear authentic Dhamma is rare. Again, even during the Buddhist time, he was making that declaration. This wasn't a widespread um, teaching or a widespread religion or a widespread philosophy. It was rare. It was for those with only a little a speck of dust in their eyes, as the Buddha says. Awakening is difficult. Abandon all, and this is how we do it. In one paragraph, the Buddha teaches us how to do it within the framework of the Four Noble Truths. Abandon all that is hurtful. Develop what is skillful. I could add, develop only what is skillful. Concentrate the mind. This is the teaching of the Buddha. Abandon all that is hurtful. Develop what is skillful. Concentrate the mind. This is the teaching of the Buddha. How do we know to what, what is to be developed? What is skillful? Anybody? How do we know to develop only what is skillful? What frames that? Thank you. Yes, it's the Eightfold Path. So even that path isn't ambiguous. If we want to develop what is skillful, we engage with the Eightfold Path. Patient, for, patient endurance is the foremost skill. The, the Pali word is kishanti. Patient forbearance, the foremost skill. It's another way of saying be, be very gentle with yourself, but keep going. Unbinding, the foremost achievement. Unbinding from what? Views ignorant of four noble truths. The foremost achievement. An awakened human being is telling us, what is the, the most important thing I can do in my life? According to Siddhartha Gautama, it's to end ignorance. Those who mislead or hurt others have lost the Dhamma. That's why we stay focused within this Sangha. Because it's hurtful not to. To mislead people in the Dhamma is, is the most egregious thing that a wise Dhamma practitioner can do. Those that don't know the Dhamma, you know, they get a free pass because they don't know what they're doing. But we know. And we have this, use the word, we have this grave responsibility to keep it pure. Practice the Dhamma in accordance with the Dhamma. With wise restraint, do not disparage others. Be moderate with food. Dwell in seclusion and develop jhana. Again, a simple instruction. Understanding stress, the disciple knows that a lack of gold coin does not satisfy a lack. Got to read that again. Understanding stress, the disciple knows that a lake of gold coin does not satisfy. The disciple delights in the end of craving. This one is a disciple. And a disciple, what does it mean? A disciple is one who has the right discipline. 
There's nothing religious about the word. Escaping to mountains. The, 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 this, this, I remember when I first read this, this was another one of those things that knocked me off my seat because the romanticization, romanticism, is that the right word? The romanticizing of going off into the forest of finding a cave for a dozen years or, or going to the mountaintops. That, that's, that's always been um, uh, an alluring but distracting presentation of what Buddhist practice might be. That's not seclusion, that's escape. The Buddha's words, escaping to mountains, caves, forests, or shrines brings no protection from ignorance. The supreme refuge of my Dhamma brings release from all confusion, delusion, stress, and suffering. So again, one of the reasons why we stay focused on the way we do and talk about how to do this is because the Buddha did it 2,600 years ago. Even during his time, he recognized the foolishness of engaging in fabricated or um, palliative dharmas, those things that only make us feel good. The triple refuge of the Buddha, the Dhamma, and a well-focused Sangha brings an understanding of four noble truths. The triple refuge brings understanding. The supreme triple refuge brings release from all confusion, delusion, stress, and suffering. The truly pure person is uncommon. It is a lie that one is everywhere. This, again, what a powerful statement. It is a lie that one is everywhere. What is the Buddha saying then and now? Well, most modern Buddhist practices, most spiritual, New Age spiritual practice, resolve in this one grand cosmic mind idea that we're all part of this one organism. Bullshit. That's the most hurtful thought that any human being has ever had even though it's a collective thought. It's a, it's a thought that when the people that adopt it are gleeful over it. They think they've realized something just in the thought. When it's simply a distraction away from the importance of recognizing the discreteness of each and every human being's individual life. That's what the Buddha teaches. This human life is rare. Why would I give it up by saying, no, it's not. I'm just part of one grand collective and distract myself into feeling that way, and creating ideologies that feed the collective and deny the individual, which is exactly what's happening in the world today. I won't get into the politics of it, but that's exactly what's happening. Just open your eyes. You don't have to even open your eyes a little bit. Just look. And individuality is the biggest crime in the world today. And people that can think as individuals should be, most people say they should be put to death or at least ostracized. I'm not going to say who said it. But a very famous person just yesterday said, anything that is not part of the collective is evil. And this was a guy that used to lead our country. The Buddha recognized how hurtful and hateful that was 2,600 years ago. We haven't learned or evolved at all in that 2,600 years. But the Dhamma is still here. And we're still practicing it. And it's still here in its pure form. And it still delivers what the Buddha promises. Ending ignorance of four noble truths so that I can have a human life. The rightly self-awakening brings true wealth and happiness to their family. True wealth and happiness. Not nonsense. Not fabrication. Not more ideology to grasp after. The rightly self-awakened one brings true wealth and happiness to their family. Fortunate we are for those awakened. 
Fortunate we are for those teaching the authentic Dhamma. Fortunate we are for a well-informed and well-focused Sangha. We talk about that all the time, don't we? Fortunate we are for wise restraint. Fortunate we are for those that follow those, those awakened through my Dhamma. Disciples who have abandoned... Sorry. Disciples who have abandoned self-identification, greed and aversion, those fearless and unbound, have abandoned measuring merit. I've got to read that last, and that's the, that's the end of this, in this particular chapter. But realize the importance of what the Buddha is saying. Even during the Buddhist time, most Buddhist practice was about gaining merit, meaning doing something that you'll get a reward for in the future. All of my years in modern Buddhism, and it was a lot, with some of the most well-known and recognized teachers that we still have today, was based on getting merit. Doing something today so I get a reward in the future because who I am today is not good enough. i got to add something to it. And again, that was always presented gleefully. Like that was the whole point. And that whole time I was engaged in those practices, confused and frustrated, I was wasting my life. Because there was no, there was no real value in any of that, was it? It was just a constant distraction. And it was an agreed-upon group distraction. Meaning I had great and many friends in all these different lineages that I practice in. They're all wonderful people. Except maybe one. And it was hard to leave that behind because I had such a conditioned and familiar relationship with these people. But I needed to cut those ties like, like the Buddha talks about. I had to cut it off at the root if I was going to awaken. If I was going to do the only thing that every human being should do, which is awaken. And read it one more time. That's the end of this chapter. Fortunate we are for those that follow, those awakened through my Dhamma. Disciples who have abandoned self-identification, greed and aversion, those fearless and unbound, have abandoned measuring merit. That's today's class. Thank you for listening and allowing me to present such a wonderful, sutta, a wonderful chapter. Um, there's so much in here, but that last line has a lot of meaning for me to be remaining fearless and I didn't understand what even what remaining fearless could mean until I actually developed something that got rid of at least almost all the fear I had uh, like most human beings I lived in fear uh, sometimes and often unnoticed uh, I didn't recognize what that fear was driving me to but even if it was the fear of not being good enough that's something that I adopted early on and it lasted until I came to the Dharma um, and it's, it's more than that, this fearlessness that we're talking about. The fearlessness that we're talking about, that the Buddha is talking about, is rest in something that the Buddha, the phrase that the Buddha uses often, inner poise. It's an inner knowing that, that I have and we are all developing through the Eightfold Path. That once we integrate and develop the Eightfold Path, and I'm not talking about to its culmination, I'm meaning just long enough and well enough to experience what that means have this profound experience, and I, we, maybe we can talk about it, especially if you have, that you realize that if you're acting within the framework of the Eightfold Path, you can no longer hurt yourself or any other living being. That's freedom. And I would say that, that freedom, cannot be, freedom and liberation cannot be developed unless we have that understanding, that I can no longer, that because of my thoughts and my actions, I am incapable now 
Ignorance has ended. I am incapable of causing harm for myself or another human being. That's liberation. That's true freedom. Let's go around. I want to hear what you have to say. And we'll start with Brian because he was the first one on. How are you, Brian? Good, John. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for asking. Um, thank, thank you for this. This one, um, the, the pull or the, the allure of just going away and, and, and moving into the country or moving to the mountains and just leaving society and just not dealing with it is, is almost an intoxicant. Yeah. And I, I had that revelation this week. I'm like, I, it's this, this unskillful desire that, that does not bring any, any peace. And then had the realization that I, I am developing seclusion to the point that I have no idea what you were talking about, who said what yesterday about whatever. And, and I'm sitting in the middle of a city of a million people. Yeah. You know, so it, and that's where the real value is. There's no value in not having that that peace of mind in the middle of nowhere if your mind's chaotic. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, this one just, yeah, I feel it. So, thank you. Yeah, thank you, Brian. It, would it, would, if our minds are full of conflict, it doesn't matter where we are. And if they're free of conflict, it doesn't matter where we are. I, I, as you were talking, I was thinking about this and how it, how I fell into it too. Um, years ago, when I into my late thirties and early forties, I started spending a lot of time in Hawaii. And, um, there was one place, uh, a retreat center called the Kalani Hanua, um, which was in a remote section of Big Island. I think it's still there, uh, right in the middle of the forest, but right across the street from the Pacific Ocean. A really beautiful place. Oh, in the southern end. Uh, it, it's it's actually. Uh, about 40 miles north of, of South Point, going towards Pahoa, towards the east end yeah, of, of yeah. Big Island. Been you, you've been to Kalani Hanoi? I think so. It, wow. it's, a, it, it's a yoga retreat. Up to me. Yeah, of, of, yeah, yeah, of other things. Uh-huh. Right in the middle of the forest. Yes. We've got to talk about that. Yeah. And so it, I used to go there, and um, I used to plan trips to Hawaii, and I'd spend the first two weeks ostensibly in seclusion at Kalani Hanua because of this idea that if I just go away, I didn't have any, any real knowledge or understanding about why I was going away. If I just went away, I'd be good. And after two weeks, I was going out of my mind. I couldn't wait to get out of there. Um, I thought that I had a calm. I mean, I, I had the, the, uh, the air. I, I carried myself as calm and peaceful, but I couldn't wait to get to my favorite restaurant in Pahoa that had the best Italian food I've ever had. It, again, all that seclusion just filled me with craving for getting out of it. Uh, and, and so I, I'm just relating that because that's a direct experience of this idea that if I could just leave the world behind, but, but I took my mind there, what good is it? And as Brian just said, it doesn't matter. If my mind is free of conflict, I'm free of conflict. Right, Jane? I couldn't have said it better myself, John. I know. No, that, that's true. You, you can be peaceful no matter where you are. So yeah. and that's you, the practical nature of the Dhamma. Yeah, and you found that. I have. Yeah. Thank, you, thank you. How are you, Mary? Hi, John. Hi, everybody. Um, beautiful chapter, beautiful teaching, um, a reminder of a lot of um, other teachings. And um, a reminder to be uh, 
peaceful where you are and how to do that. Um, very important. So thank you, John. Really nice teaching. Thank you, Mary. Good evening, Nina. How are you? Here we go. I always keep myself muted. <laughs> um, I'm good. I'm good, thank you. I'm going to take a noble silence tonight. Thank okay. you for the teaching, though. Thank you for joining us. Thanks. Hello, Hello John. There we go. I think I have it right. Can you hear me? I can hear you fine. Thank you. Um, there's a new guy here. I'm still learning, but uh, I take some notes here. And um, I think about what I'm trying to do here. And I like the idea of patient forbearance. Yeah. And um, there's some aspects of what you teach tonight, what you taught last day in the Dhammapada, that they're very similar, but each time you go through a book or a chapter you read, you, you get a, a little different piece of it. Yep. And um, I think you need patient forbearance on my part to grab each piece and wait for the next one and take the next one. And that's kind of what I get out of something like this, and it comes together. Yeah. But to have the trust, not so much faith, but the trust that it will come is something I find very unique in my two months of this journey I've undertaken and joining here with you folks and the like. And that's really all I was thinking about that was most interesting to me. Yeah. Well, I, again, John, that's good thinking. You're, you're, Thank you. you're getting an, an understanding of, of what this is all about. Uh, and you're, you're right. It does take Kashanti. It takes patient forbearance and it takes great gentleness with yourself. Um, and you're also right. It, none of this is taken on faith, uh, but it is taken on conviction. It's two different things, right? Mm -hmm. And so, uh, can, we 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 can we can take this uh, with conviction by understanding, or or what what was referenced here, the three refuges of of taking refuge in the Buddha, meaning an understanding that a human mm -hmm. being actually did this, and that human being taught us how to do the same thing. And you are now part of the third refuge, probably the most important, of a well-focused and well-informed Sangha. So you got, you got everything you need. It's just a matter of continuing to be gentle with yourself and, and continue with that patient forbearance. John, where, where are you? Can I ask where you're logging in from? Sure, I'm up in Hackettstown, New Jersey. I'm about oh. an hour north of you. Good, you're not that far. Come down and join us sometime. I was thinking about that, and you got the river right there, too. I'm a fisherman, so I'm like, I can oh. stop it, and then I can go fishing. <laughs> you, you certainly can. Uh, but if you are going to come down, and it's, uh, let, let me know, and we'll get together. We'll go have, have a, a meal somewhere. Sure, be happy to. And I, I'm always available, too. If you want to you have a one-on-one a, a -on -one session, just let me know, and we'll get together. I will. Thank you. Thank you, John. Let's go to the back row. Dustin, how are you? Good. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for asking. Um, thanks for the teaching. My pleasure. Um, what I kind of got out of it is like the idea that we're all one. Um, if you don't participate in politics or voting or watching the news or small talk, you get isolated pretty quick yeah. in this society, um, which helps to eventually start to deal with the ignorance that you have. You know, you start to cut those people off at the roots just by not participating yeah so that's how i was kind of led to this by just not being able to handle those things small talk the collective if you're not involved with the collective belief 
the collective will sort of push you aside. Yeah. You, 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 almost, uh, you almost bring me to tears because you touch something that I think you're going through. I, would, I never liked small talk. I never did. And even when I was a kid and you start coming of age and you, you know, you're going to little parties with your friends and stuff, um, I just hated it. And I was, you know, I was kind of ridiculed at times and you're shy and you're whatever, this and that. And I just could not, even as a 14-year-old or a 13-year-old, I could not sit around and talk about stuff that had no meaning to me. And not that a lot of things did, but it just drove me crazy. And even later on in my young adulthood, uh, that, that just prevailed. And it wasn't until many years later, and I understood what right speech and, and right action and right livelihood were really all about, that I realized, no, I wasn't, there wasn't something wrong with me. I just had a, a, a natural inclination to stay away from idle chatter. And that's a good thing. But you're also right, there's a lot of um, push, especially when you're younger, but even throughout our lives, to conform, to be whatever, whatever is, is outgoing or anything. And that's not to say that we, should, we shouldn't be sharing of ourselves, but we should do it in a mindful way. I'll use myself as an example. I am so much more engaged with people now than I ever was because there wasn't any me there. Even the few times that I could talk about and if somebody started talking about Mickey Mantle, I could go on about that. But it was a fake me that was talking about it too, wasn't it? And so I, I lived most of my life in this ideology of afraid to talk, afraid of myself, something's wrong with me, I don't want you to really know me. And everything that comes from that to finally just saying, wow, I've been hurting myself with this views of myself my whole life. Let me stop. And now, you know, I... I hardly ever say anything. <laughs> I, th I avoid idle chatter, but as you can see, I got a lot to say. And, uh, and again, you're, you're touching on and you're seeing things so clearly. And I think it's going to bring a lot of healing to you too, Dustin, like it does for all of us. So thank you for being so honest tonight. Thank you. Julia, good to see you. Good and again, congratulations you. to oh, you thank both. You. Couldn't happen yeah. to nicer folks. Yeah, thank you. They just got married, but anybody, anybody know? <laughs> Thank you. Um, I like what you had said, John, about taking your, your, well, being in seclusion, right? If you're go if you're in seclusion and you and you think that seclusion is pulling yourself away from everything and being in the middle of a forest by yourself, you're still carrying that deluded mind. Yeah. And if you're carrying a deluded mind, then you're not in seclusion. Yeah. Okay? You're still injecting yourself. Yeah into all things around you, all phenomena. It, it, your attachments are still there. And so you're not, you're not at peace. You're not in seclusion because you still have all these pentacles out there and you're still holding on. Seclusion is letting go of that and then the mind is itself. Yes, you know? yeah, thank you. Yeah. Seclusion so, right. is not, a, it's not a necessarily a physical place. It's a quality of mind. Right, exactly. That's, yeah. Yeah. Thank you, John. Thank you for that. Hello, Michael. Hi, John. Hi, everybody. Um, just to uh, follow up on that, uh, what Julie had said, I have something else to say, but I'll just follow up on that because it's, I think it's important. Uh, uh, one of the previous classes, I, I think uh, uh, David was uh, teaching uh, last Tuesday, maybe. And Nina, I believe she's still she's online this time, right? Yeah. Uh, she had brought up the whole idea uh, 
the chapter that, uh, of the Dhammapada that we were going over had uh, brought up the idea of uh, an individual becoming an island unto themselves. Mm -hmm. And Nina, uh, Nina, I hope you don't mind I'm re referencing you here. But, uh, no, feel free, feel free. Uh, I, uh, I actually uh, thought about uh, when you were talking last time and I realized that you were upset because you uh, were uh, encountering like a loneliness from that the idea of being an island unto yourself. But that's not, and being an island unto yourself is anything but being lonely. It's actually releasing all those things that bind you and that you're attached to. So in essence, you are not lonely at all. Actually, you can embrace life fully uh, and just maintain uh, a calm and peaceful mind when you learn to control your, des control your desire and stay detached from all those things that are unskillful. So that's kind of just all I wanted to say about that. So, thank, you. thank you, Michael. Well said. Hello, Brett. <clears throat> Hello, good to be here. Uh, thanks for your teaching. There's a lot, lot in there. Everybody's saying some really good stuff tonight. Um, I mean, life's precious, so it's you have to do your best to awaken in the time that you have here and uh, just do it through the Eightfold Path. I really got, you know, <clears throat> some certain events happened recently and in my family, and it's like, all right, well, shit, it can be gone pretty quickly. So, um, and it's, uh, you, know, you can't really engage in the Dharma if you are isolated and, and, and like, you know, hiding out. It yeah. takes place here. Yeah, thank you. You got me. Uh, Thomas Merton, who was a Christian mystic, wrote some pretty good books, including the Seven Story Mountain. But it, uh, he he made this. I think he said it. He wrote it in that book, um, and it sticks with me all this time. He said, it, "There's no value at all in going to the mountaintop if, when you come back down, you can't engage in the marketplace." And what he means is, what what good is having a head that is stuck in the clouds if you can't relate to human life? And, you know, this is a guy that spent his life meditating and teaching about meditation. Good, he's got some good books still to read, but... Ram, Dhamma teacher Ram. Hi, John. <clears throat> yeah, I, the things that struck me in, in this chapter was um, first his, his assertion that, that what we're in here is, is very precious. Um, this human life, and that it's it's rare to even find ourselves here and be able to to uh, to meet the Dhamma, um, and how fortunate we are, you know, all of us here that that we have this opportunity, that we've we've seen the opportunity and 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 grasped it. It's, uh, you know, you and I both have spent, you know, decades and decades looking for yeah. something like this. And, and having been um, led astray or led ourselves astray, yeah. and then uh, the gratitude that comes up in me when, when I realize, you know, how fortunate that I am mm -hmm. to have found this is it's, it's sometimes just... Plain overwhelming. It is. 
So, uh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. I, it's, it's never lost on me how fortunate I am that, you know, there, that the books that I was able to glean this out of were still available, and that I have a mind that can understand it. Again, I don't, I don't have anything, a special type of mind. I have a human mind like everybody else. And, you know, if I can, I always say, if I can do it, anybody can do it. And it's because I wanted to. And I meet, most of the people I meet don't want it. And that's fine, because I meet plenty of people that do, that have just a little speck of dust in their eyes. You know? so thank you, Ron. Laura, good to see you tonight. Good to see you. Thank you for the teaching, John. You know, I was just thinking about how difficult wise restraint really is, um, especially in the context, like Dustin was talking about, of the collective. It's very difficult in that context. And then also, like Brett was saying, if we have something difficult come up in our family or, you know, a anywhere really can be difficult, but I guess it's what the Buddha is saying, um, that rather than think of wise restraint as maybe this negative deprivation, loneliness, it's more of a simultaneous, I guess, wise, having wise intention, therefore you're able to have wise restraint because you're rooted in the Eightfold Path, leading you to, I guess, a greater sense of happiness that way so because I know when I think about you know restraint and then my brain says oh you can't have this or can't have this it's it kind of fuels the addiction further yeah <laughs> which can be difficult to overcome but I guess if it's rooted in wise intention like the eightfold path talks about you know right speech right action right effort then I guess that's what yeah, that that yeah that's what that's what he's talking about. That's what we're talking about, and you are talking about it correctly. That that well, that's exactly it. It again, it, we are taught from the moment we're born to be grasping after something, and that's mm-hmm. kind of the point of life is to get as much this and that, or notoriety, or things, or all of the all of the above before you die. And I mean, I fell into it too, but I couldn't understand what 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 good is all this stuff. I mean, you know, it was a time when I was somewhat financially successful and I was miserable like other mm-hmm. successful people I knew uh, not entirely I mean it was, you know, it was always nice to go buy a new car but that, that la- I still remember the first new car I bought I drove off the lot and I'm thinking what a disappointment because I thought well, I just lost 10% you know that was my thinking um, so wise restraint is ultimately is about restraining our minds from grasping after unnecessary things the, the the paradox there is once we can do that to a certain level, then we realize that everything in human life is available to us. What's my choice today? What you know? What do I need today? What what I need today is a calm and peaceful mind. And I found that for the most part, when I maintain that calm and peaceful mind, everything else seems to be taken care of. I mean, I still you know, I still got to get up. I still come and teach this class and do other things that I do. But that's almost automatic because there's not a lot of extraneous stuff that are pulling me here and there. I've also, you know, I kind of organized my life over year over the years to be rather simple. But you're moving towards that too. But it doesn't mean that we do not have a human life. It actually means just the opposite, the paradox to it. We have our lives become abundant simply because we're not grasping after anything. It's just what's here. 
We're present for everything that occurs. The, the so-called good and the bad, well, that, that doesn't concern me because it's all good, you know, no matter what it is. It's all good. You know, it's, all, it's, it's good because I'm having the experience of it, and I don't need it to be any different. And you are moving there pretty quickly, so thank you. Thank you. Dharma teacher Kevin. Good to see you, John. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Boy, everybody's asking. Uh, yeah, just wanted to... Do I look like there's something wrong? Uh, appreciate uh, the, the thoroughly insightful commentary here. Um, you know, I really like what Mary and uh, Julia said about being at peace where you are, where you find yourself in your life. And, and you know, that's just you know, sort of what Ron was saying, how rare of an opportunity that is to... to to not be everywhere, as the Buddha said in the Sutta, you know, mm-hmm. to be in your life and to have that sense of calm abiding is, is pretty rare. It was rare then and it's pretty rare now, so mm-hmm. it's great to be with all of you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm glad you're here tonight. Dhamma teacher David. Hello, John. The teaching of the lesser pleasure versus the greater pleasure mm-hmm. come to mind. Mm-hmm. You think that we're giving things up, we're restraining from these lesser pleasures, but these lesser pleasures are what bring suffering. Yep. And what brings the greater pleasure, mm-hmm. you're not giving something up, it's a greater pleasure. The calmness, the, the ability to be present, the ability to see things fairly and treat people with equanimity, that's a greater pleasure. So it can't ever possibly be seen as a negative or a restraint. It's simply calm. Yeah. So thank you. And and it's that that calm mind that that does encompass all of life. You know, it, it's a it, it's a well concentrated and calm mind that delivers us from grasping after and clinging to, to things. And again, it doesn't mean that we don't have things. Just means we they don't define us anymore, mm-hmm. and I'm glad of that. It's nice to not have to be defined by external stuff that you really have no control over. It's all impermanent, and you know what what I think define well. What defines my moment, this moment, is a well concentrated mind. It's framed by this thing that was developed through the eightfold path called right view, seeing. And the only reason I say that is is so. You, cause, so you recognize it. You know, life looks good because you're, you're looking at it from right view now. And, and, and despite the incredible chaos that's in the world right now, the, the, the divisions and the hatred and the violence and all of that, it's, I, I'm aware of it much more than I ever have been. But I don't lose sleep over it anymore. You know? I don't, and I don't, it doesn't need to be any different than it is. That doesn't mean I don't have preferences and understanding. And in fact, I've already decided. Well, I can't get too deep into that. Um, having nothing is a good thing, you know. Having nothing is a good thing, except the calm and peaceful mind. You know? Wonderful class tonight. We'll finish with uh, with Meta as we always do. Does anybody else have any questions or comments before we finish the class? Okay. We'll finish with Metta. So again, take a moment to become mindful of your in-breath and your out-breath and let that mindfulness unite your mind and your body. And these are the Buddha's words on Metta from the Karaniya Metta Sutta. 
This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. May all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.